Thanks for joining us for today's message. We encourage you to visit southernhillslv.com to watch or listen to past messages. We hope you enjoy today's message from God's Word. And welcome back to Southern Hills. Are you glad to be here? If you are, let's praise God together. Amen. That video kicks off a brand new sermon series entitled The Arrival, The Promised Advent of Jesus Christ. It is our Christmas sermon series that begins today and continues next week. It really is two Sundays. It's one large sermon that has two parts. The first part, and you'll never guess what the second part is. The second part. So I want you to go with me, first part, and then say second part. First part, second part. I don't get paid for my creativity, okay? So what we're going to be talking about today is a two-part sermon. First part, second part. Today, the first part of the sermon, the arrival, which I'm calling ancient prophecies. Very, very exciting stuff. Luke chapter 1. Go ahead and turn there if you have a Bible with you. I'm going to go ahead and walk you through it in just a moment. Uh, Before I do, I have a few questions for the audience today. How many of you today, how many of you as you look around uh, the world today, um, you're a little concerned about the state of the world? As you look around the world today, you say, "I'm, I'm a little concerned. I want to focus on Christmas. I want to think about good things, but I'm a little concerned about the state of the world. If that's you, if you're like me, would you raise your hand? How many of you are a little concerned about the state of the world? Okay, sure. A lot of us. Put your hands down. Okay. Second question. How many of you are a little concerned about the state of the nation? Anyone here just a little concerned about the state? Of the, if you are, raise your hand. How many of you, some of you are more concerned about the nation than you are the world? Um, I can see that. How many of you are concerned a little bit about the state of the nation? Raise your hand. How many of you are a little concerned? Sure. Okay. How many of you, your, your, your concerns go beyond that of a concern for the world, though you are concerned, and, and concern for a nation, though you are concerned, and you have some very deeply personal concerns that relate to yourself, your family, your friends? How many have some deep personal concerns? Would you raise your hand? How many of you like that? Okay, good. The reason I bring that out is because in today's first part of this two-part sermon, I, I want to talk with you about three individuals who were deeply concerned, one of them concerned for the world, his name is Luke, one of them concerned for the nation, his name is Zechariah, and one of them concerned for herself and her family, and her name is Mary. All three of them found in Luke chapter 1, and it's how we're going to introduce the book of Luke, as well as introduce this two-part sermon series that leads to Christmas Eve. If, if you're happy to be here one more time, again, would you say Amen. Amen. Christmas time is finally here, and the anticipation is so, I mean, it's palpable. Can you feel it? The anticipation of Christmas right around the corner. Maybe you're not feeling it like you once did when you were a child. Do you remember when you were a kid and Christmas was coming up, and Christmas week was just around the corner, and you begin to feel it, right? Everybody was talking about Christmas, and even on television, the commercials were Christmas, and you walk through the stores, and everything was beginning to look a lot like Christmas, and it felt like it would be forever until finally Christmas morning came. It was going to take forever for it to finally happen. How many of you remember that feeling as a kid? We call it anticipation. Say the word with me, anticipation, especially when you knew what your gift already was. 
Anybody here already know what your gift is, like you found it, and the reason you found it is because you ordered it on the same Amazon account as your, you know what I'm talking about? It's not the same anymore. Like, I know what you got me four weeks ago. Thank you very much. I, I, every year, um, I, we tried to figure out as kids what our Christmas present was going to be. This was, this was not that difficult because my parents had a special place to hide the Christmas presents. How many of you are like me? Did you, is this true for you? Your parents had a special place to hide the Christmas presents? How many of you, they had that? And, they, and you knew exactly where it was. My parents' special place was their closet. Brilliant. So they, we had this arrangement. We had this arrangement. We were not allowed to go in the closet, in their closet, during November and December. That was the rule. And so we had this arrangement. We were not allowed to go in there, and, we, and, and our part was when they were gone, we went in there, right? <laughs> I figured they knew, you know, because like who would not? And what we would do is we'd go through, and you would look, children, listen, this is just, don't follow the pastor's example, all right? And we would go in there, and we'd look around and figure out this gift must be for this person, and this gift must be for that person, and this gift must be. And the problem was sometimes we got it wrong, you know what I mean? And my brother's opening up my Christmas gift on Christmas morning, right? And these kind of things take place. And when you begin to see what you were actually going to open up, and knowing that it was three weeks away before your Nintendo 64 was going to actually be yours, the anticipation was palpable. That is the feeling you're supposed to have when you get to Luke chapter 1. The feeling is anticipation. Say it with me. Say it with me. Anticipation. You see, all of those that Luke was writing to and all of those in the world at the time of Mary and Joseph and the wise men, they had deep concerns about where the world was at the time. You see, Rome was expanding quickly. And the more Rome expanded, the more rights of people were trampled under their feet. The more individual liberty, the more national identity, the more cultural distinction was smashed under the giant empire called Rome. And so people were concerned about the world. They were concerned about their own nation's ability to defend itself in this what we called at the time Pax Romana. Yes, peace broadly, but peace under the boot of dictatorship. They were concerned about their nation. But they were also concerned about their personal experience, their children and the world they would grow up in, their children and the, the friends that they would have, the religion that they practiced and whether or not they would continue to be able to do so freely and without, without interference from the government as well as without corruption from the religious leadership. All of this was the anxiety of the people during the time that Luke wrote this passage, during the time that Jesus Christ came into the world. And so there is anxiety and there is anticipation, a tingling like that of when Christmas is about to come. They were all waiting for the gift that the prophets had promised. The gift was Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The promised Messiah would come to save the world. The promised Messiah would come to save the nation. And the promised Messiah would come to save each and every individual soul that would put their faith in that Messiah.
And as we walk through this passage, Luke chapter 1, what we want you to understand is that Luke has an entire story of Jesus called the Gospel of Luke that he wants you to know. An entire story about Jesus' life. But before we get to the story of Jesus, he wants you to know in chapter 1, three individuals. Who are the three individuals he wants you to know? He wants you to know Luke himself, Zechariah, a priest, and Mary, a peasant girl. So he introduces all three. So let's walk through each one. Number one, we see Luke, the journalist. I'm going to say Luke, you say the journalist. Luke, the journalist. Say it again. Luke, the journalist. Luke wanted to express the truth of the story of Jesus Christ. So there's no better way to present himself than as a journalist, one of the most trusted members of any society. Huh. <laughs> what, what is a journalist? What is a journalist? A journalist is somebody who gathers information and facts, writes them down in an understanding way, and delivers them to the people. A journalist who can be trusted, a journalist who can be uh, verified, a journalist who has no agenda, is one who simply gathers the facts and presents them as they happened. What we have in the Gospel of Luke, in this book of the Bible is a man who is a professional, who is well-studied as a physician, who spends his time writing down the story of Jesus so that people could better understand it. Look what it says in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. As, inasmuch as many have taken into hand to set in order the narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, what is he saying? In the same way that you've heard, many people have been writing down the story of Jesus and talking about the prophecies that many of us have seen with our eyes, verse 2, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the wor word delivered them to us, just as from the beginning there were many eyewitnesses of the miracles of Jesus, there were many eyewitnesses of the teachings of Jesus, there were many eyewitnesses of the birth of Jesus, Luke says, I went around to those eyewitnesses and got verified accounts of what actually took place, verse 3. It seems good for me to also write, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto you in an orderly account. Because the, this man, Luke, says that he has spent a lot of time gathering the research, a lot of time taking personal interviews, a lot of time sitting down with the eyewitnesses of all the stories of Jesus, he said, I thought it was a good idea for me to sit down and write it all out so that you could hear about it. Now, he addresses this letter to a specific individual. Who does he address it to? Look at what it says. He says, most excellent Theophilus. He's writing to a, a person called Theophilus. The word Theophilus is a Greek name. It means the lover of God. Lover of God. A anybody at this church today who believes themselves to be a lover of God? Anybody who loves God here today? If you do, say amen. amen. So here's a letter written to perhaps a real Greek person named Theophilus from Luke, a Greek doctor, writing out the story of Jesus to a person called the lover of God. But I love this because I also love God, which means the letter is to me. And he's writing all of these things out so that we know the story of Jesus, verse 4, that you may know the certainty of those things which you were instructed. You see, the problem was when it came to the story of Jesus... The people Luke was writing to are very similar to the people that I'm talking to today. I'm speaking to you. 
that the stories of Jesus had at this point become mythologized. The stories of Jesus had become uh, folk tales that villagers told one another. Yeah, I heard he used to walk on water. Yeah, I heard he turned water into wine. I heard that he had this boy and he raised him from the grave. I heard he died himself. And all of these stories were going around, but there was no cohesion to the story and the person of who Jesus actually was. And so Luke said, I, being a learned man, I, being a professional, I, being a journalist, I, being a physician, have set in order by speaking to all of these individuals about really what happens so that you, lovers of God, can have this certainty. And there are really three words that really dig into our hearts when it comes to Luke's perspective. Those words are prophecy, accuracy, Uncertainty. Luke wants you to see that what he's talking about is related specifically to the ancient prophecies of old. He says at the end of verse 1, do you see it? Those things which have been fulfilled around us. He's pointing back to all of those prophecies from the time of Adam and Eve to the time of Abraham to the time of David to the time of all of the prophets that we know that these prophecies have been fulfilled in this person named Jesus Christ. He's not only concerned with prophecy, he's concerned with accuracy. He wants to make sure that he didn't just hear about the story of Jesus' birth. He wants to talk to Mary and say, Mary, what happened with that manger scene? And what happened when you were in the barn and there was no room in the inn? Is that what I heard? Is that true? He's also concerned with not only prophecy and accuracy. He is concerned with your certainty. He wants you to know for sure that what you believe is actually true. Why? Why does Luke want you to know these things with certainty? Here's why. Because he wants you to understand that Jesus Christ has come to save the world. Luke, as we can tell from history, has no real connection to this Jewish Messiah. He's a Greek. He's a doctor from Antioch. He's just a guy who heard about somebody else's Messiah. And the more research he began to put into it, the more he realized there's something very serious about this Jesus character. Maybe that's who you are today. Maybe you're the type of individual who says, well, this isn't really my religion. This is not really my background. I wasn't really raised like this. I'm glad to be around a bunch of religious people today. It's very nice. The music's nice but this is not really my thing, then you're very much like Luke. You're an outsider who's peeking in and you're beginning to discover maybe this whole Jesus thing actually has a little bit of validity to, to it. And what Luke did was go on a journey of prophecy, of accuracy, and of certainty. And he came away believing Jesus Christ had come to save the world. The first person Luke wants you to know as he relates this concept of the coming of Jesus is number one, Luke himself, the journalist. Number two, the person he wants you to know is a guy named Zechariah. We call him the faithful. I'm going to say Zechariah. You call him the faithful. Zechariah. Six of you. Very good. Let's try that again. Zechariah. The faithful. One more time. Zechariah. 
Zechariah was a priest, where Luke was a doctor, Zechariah was a priest. He was a very religious man. And this priest was concerned for his nation. The last prophet of the Old Testament was a guy named Malachi. Malachi had written, in fact, if you look in the Old Testament, the very last book is is Malachi himself, and he writes 350 years before Jesus ever comes. And his main thrust is that, yes, the Messiah is coming to save the nation. But before the Messiah comes to save the nation, he's going to send a prophet who's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. This prophet he refers to as the messenger or Elijah himself. Look what it says in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, Behold, I send you a messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming. You see, at the time of Malachi, 350 years before Jesus, Malachi's people, all of the people were wondering, is Jesus ever going to come? Is he ever going to arrive and save the nation of Israel? Everybody was wondering, is it ever going to happen? It's been prophesied for thousands of years. It's never going to happen. And Malachi said, just wait. He is going to come. But before he comes, there's going to be another person. He's like a a pre-prophet before Jesus comes. In fact, he talks about it more in the next chapter, Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. He says, behold, I will send unto you Elijah the prophet before you coming in the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. What does this prophet say that the coming prophet would do? He says, well, the coming prophet before the Messiah comes, he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the kids and the kids back to the fathers. He's going to restore the nation by starting to restore the families. Who is he prophesying? He's prophesying somebody we call John the Baptist. Say it with me. John the Baptist. Now, fast forward 350 years, and I want you to go on a journey with me. Anybody anybody here... Have you ever been to Jerusalem? Anybody here ever visit Jerusalem? Raise your hand if you've ever visited Jerusalem. Okay, a couple pilgrims here have visited Jerusalem. Who would like to go to Jerusalem with me? Who'd like to go? Who'd like to go right now? Right now. You don't even have to be vaccinated, all right? So now you're like, okay, here we go, all right? Let's go in our minds. I don't want to go to Jerusalem today. I want you to come with me. Who wants to go with me? You ready? We're going to go to Jerusalem but I want you to come with me 2,000 years ago. Travel with me, will you? We arrive in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, and as we get there, the first thing we notice is that we're heading up. The elevation is increasing. What are you riding? What are you riding? Because I'm riding a stallion. What are you riding? You're on a donkey, all right, all right. Like Jesus, very good, all right, very good. What are you riding? You're walking, poor choice. That's a bad idea. Come on, get, let's get imaginative. What are, what are you riding? What are you riding? A bicycle. That doesn't even exist. <laughs> At this, you never know. You, I, but I do. I do. It's not there. It's not there. Next person I ask is going to say like a, a Mustang. Forget it. We're done. All right. 
So here we are, we're all traveling, and as we travel, we're going up the hills because Jerusalem is built in the hilltops on, on Mount Zion. And as we approach it, we're going to see all sorts of people. Before we get to the actual city, we notice there are uh, Bedouin, or what we call shepherds, um, the poorest of the poor. They basically are um, they're homeless people who watch sheep. They've been there for thousands of years. In fact, if we were there today, you would meet them. You could see them. They're still out in the hillsides of Judea today. And then as we get closer to the city, up in the hilltops, we're going to see the homes and the marketplace and the merchants, and we're going to meet a lot of the people. And as we go closer to the center of the city, you're going to see on the tallest hillside a giant building, and, and you're going to ask, Pastor, what is that? This is my first time here. I'll say, that's, that's the temple. And when we arrive at the temple, we're ushered in because we're special guests, because you're with Pastor Josh, and there's a guy with a bicycle. <laughs> and we get to the temple, and as we arrive there, there is a particular priest, and he's standing among other priests, and they take two stones, like you would think of as dice, and they throw them to the ground, and the dice come up to point specifically to one specific priest. His name is Zechariah, which means, in their little custom, it was Zechariah's turn to go into the temple and offer the incense before God. The incense was a religious ceremony that symbolized as the smoke rose to God, so do the prayers of people rise to God. And so Zechariah sets himself wrecked, ready to go. He has his garments on perfectly, and he walks into the temple. Can you picture it now? To do so, you must understand who Zechariah was. He was an elderly man. Decade after decade after decade after decade, he'd been doing the same thing over and over and over, just serving God in the temple at Jerusalem. Now we watch him. And he takes the incense before God and he puts it on the altar of incense that has been around since the time of Moses and he lights it and his smoke goes before the Lord. All of a sudden, a beam of light shines down in a corner of the temple and it shocks Zechariah. And in that moment, God gives Zechariah a vision and God speaks to Zechariah and says, the promised one for whom you've been waiting, the Messiah that had been prophesied for thousands of years is finally going to come. And Zechariah wonders, what is this to do with me? And the, the prophet tells him, or the, uh, the, the visionary tells him that you're going to have a son, and the son's name is going to be John the Baptist, or John himself. And so John himself is promised to Zechariah. Look at what it says in Luke chapter 1 and verse 16 and 17. It says, and he, this is the, the vision to Zechariah, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to their Lord, their God, and he will also go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient of the wisdom to the just to make ready, the, uh, ready a people prepared for the Lord. One of the reasons I love the story of Zechariah is this. Is Zechariah, though a very old man, having done exactly the same thing over and over and over, 
praying for the nation, praying for the nation. God, save my nation. God, bless my nation. God, save my nation. God, you got to do something over and over and over, not week after week, not year after year, decade after decade after decade. While he was just in the midst of doing his daily service to God, God finally shows up. Can, can I just speak to the Christian in the room who is deeply concerned, not only for your world, but for your nation, and you have been faithfully praying, and, you, and you're wondering, you're getting to the point where you're wondering, is God ever going to show up? You know, I can imagine that Zechariah, because he was a believer, in the back of his mind, in the back of Zechariah's mind, I know he believed the prophecies of Malachi. I know he believed the prophecies of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. He knew they were true. And if you asked him, Zechariah, do you believe Messiah will come and save the nation? He would say, absolutely I do. And then day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, he kept doing the same thing. And he wondered, God, are you ever going to come? What I have found to be true in my life is that God often shows up when we're just in the daily practice of doing what God has called us to do. God keeps his promises. I'm gonna say that again and the Christians in the room should say amen to that. God keeps his promises. One person was very concerned about the world, Luke. It would make sense because he, being the outsider, was concerned. Is there ever going to be a savior from God who saves the world? Luke, the journalist, shows us that's true. Zechariah was a representative of his religion and a representative of his nation. And wondering year after year, is God ever going to show up? And in the midst of Zechariah doing his daily duty, God shows up and says, yes, I'm going to keep my promises. The third person that Luke introduces us to in chapter 1 is a, a, <laughs> the most unsuspecting individual. Her name is Mary, and we're going to call her the hero. I'm going to say Mary. You say the hero. Mary. Mary. The hero. Man, is she a hero to this story. I absolutely love the story of Mary. And why? Why? Because while everyone was concerned Mary was also concerned. I didn't have it in the scripture today, in the text. It's not on the screen. And the reason is, is because between the first service and the second service, God led me to this verse that I want to read to you. I did not use this in the first service. That'll show them for showing up early. You know what I mean? It's on them. Don't tell them. Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10, it says, this is a prophecy written 600 years before Jesus came. 600 years before a little uh, young woman named Mary ever, was ever born. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Let me ask you a question. Does God lie, yes or no? no? No. Here, there's a promise. Please 
don't turn me off. Please hear this. I say it over you again. I feel very strongly led to say it over you again. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee in the right hand of my righteousness. The same prophet back in chapter 7 and verse 14 made a very specific prophecy. Isaiah said, 600 years before Mary was ever born, Isaiah said, the Lord himself will give you a sign. What sign? Well, when the Messiah comes, when the Savior of the nation, when the Savior of the world, when the Savior of your soul will show up, he says a sign will be given that there will be a virgin who will conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Do you know why that's a significant sign? Because normally virgins don't have babies. Correct? All right, because they're teenagers in the room, mom and dad, you can go home and talk with them later. All right? Virgins don't have babies, so if a virgin has a baby, everybody's going to be like, wait a second, hold on, i got a question. And so here, the prophet Isaiah tells us, you'll know that the Messiah has come when suddenly somebody who has never physically been with a man is now pregnant with a child. You know something's going on. And that's exactly what happens with Mary in chapter 1. Chapter 1 goes on to explain Mary's point of view in Galilee now. Did you enjoy your trip to Jerusalem if you did say yes? We didn't even eat while we were there. Let's go to Galilee. Now we're going to leave Jerusalem, the hills of Jerusalem, and we're going to travel down into the plains of Galilee. Way farther out, we're going to pass through the valleys. We're going to arrive in the lake region, a beautiful lake. They call it the Sea of Galilee. And some of the Romans call it the Sea of Tiberias because that's the new emperor, you see. And now what we're going to do is as we arrive there, we're going to see some of the villages. You see Nain over there, and you see uh, Nazareth. And in Nazareth, there's a young woman, and this young woman is a nobody. She's just a, she's just a peasant girl from a very poor family. And though nobody else knows who this woman is, God himself knows who this woman is. And the Bible tells us that God sends an angel specifically to this woman. And this angel shows up to this woman who happens to be engaged. She happens to be engaged to a guy named Joseph. Now, a little backstory that's fascinating is that Joseph just happens to be the descendant of the line of David. Remember David the king who was, who was the king of all of Israel? And then if you remember, the Greeks came in and tore things up, the Babylonians first, then the Greeks, then the Romans. And so the kingly line of Israel had been broken, and the descendants who should be the rightful kings were not on the throne. Who was on the throne? Well, whoever had the most money. Isn't it terrible when whoever has the most money can be on the throne? And that's what exactly what happened. Because they had the most money, they were able to get on the throne, and that was a guy named Herod. But the true, real king was supposed to be the descendant of David, Joseph. If you study the Gospel of Matthew, it tells you Joseph's a descendant of David. If you study the Gospel of Luke, you find out that Mary as well is a descendant of David. Their lineage, if traced back a thousand years, goes to the same king, King David. Now, they're just peasants, carpenters and farmers and fishermen. And the Bible says an angel shows up and says, do not be afraid, Mary. I love how angels always begin with that phrase. You say, why do they say that? Because if you met an angel in real life, 
it would freak you out, man. They are described as very strange creatures in the Bible. Some of them have heads of eagles, and some of them have heads of lions, and some of them have bodies of snakes, and they're freaky stuff, man. And so this thing shows up and says, first of all, I'm sorry, this is how I look. <laughs> Don't be afraid. And then he gives a prophecy. For you have been found in favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the son of the highest. The Lord God will give him a throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no, no end. He says to Mary, Mary, I don't know if you know this, but you've been picked. Picked for what? To be the mother of the Savior of the world. I wonder if Mary ever questioned, will God fulfill his promise? For thou, it says, fear not, for I am with thee, be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. While Luke was concerned for the world and while Zechariah was concerned for the nation, Mary was somebody who was just a peasant girl who was concerned for her own soul, her own salvation, and her own family. And Jesus came to all three. And he kept his promise to the world, to the nation, and to the individual. Does God keep his promises, yes or no? Yes. The reason why it's hard for us to believe that is because <laughs> we live in a world filled with liars. Have you ever been lied to? Any, anybody in this room, you have a difficult time trusting people, especially the older you get. The more you live life, you're like, man, this world's not cool sometimes. Because people lie. They lie all the time. And so you almost expect it. You have a, a cynical and a skeptical mindset about whether or not people are being honest with you. Why? Because when you buy the product, they say it'll be the best product you've ever bought in your entire life. And then you buy it, and it's not the best product you ever bought. It actually broke you buy the insurance and they say, don't worry, you buy the insurance and everything will be taken care of. They're your best friend and then you sign on the document, you try to call them when something happens, they never answer. Your best friend left you. You go buy the product and they say, you need the warranty. Why do I need the warranty? Because if you get the warranty, no matter what happens, we'll take care of the problem. And you're like, fantastic, you buy the warranty, you call them, they don't take care of the problem. Why? Because the world is filled with those who don't keep the promise. I was, I think I was nine years old. It was Christmas time. And I had already checked the closet. And there, there was no Christmas gift in there for me. I had already asked. My parents knew exactly what I wanted because I had hinted that I wanted a bike. I want a bike. <laughs> you know, that's how I want and I over and over and over asked, I want a bike. There was a very specific kind of bike that I wanted, a, a very specific type of bike that others had, and, and I wasn't sure I was going to get it. It was about two weeks before the actual Christmas day, and I was outside cleaning up after our dog. We had a dog named Lassie. 
Can anybody guess what kind of dog it was? Hmm? That's correct. It was a bulldog. And we, 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 it's a weird, it was a weird choice. No, it was a collie. And I was cleaning up after this dog. And as I was cleaning up after the dog, I went into the shed to grab something to help. And as I did, I opened the shed door. And in the corner, I saw a bunch of big black plastic bags over something. And I thought, well, I need to investigate. I feel like some, I need to know, you know, I need to check this out. So I went back there, pulled some things back, and sure enough, guess what I found? What did I find? I found my, I found my bike. Immediately I knew it was my bike because it spoke to me and I felt it and I knew we belonged together. This was going to be a good relationship and my smile grew and I thought I found my bike, but I was so excited. I was so excited that I found it. I made a terrible error. If I have any children in the room, don't make the mistake I did. As soon as I saw the bike, I, I immediately thought, let's go tell dad. And I went to go tell the guy who hid the bike. Bad move. Listen, listen, if you're a child in the room, don't do this. Be smarter than me. Cover it back up and go about your business. What did you learn in church today? Well, to lie to my parents. Very good. <laughs> this is why we send our children to Kidopolis, where they can get real Bible teaching. I ran up to my father and I said, Dad, I said, I found it. He said, found what? I said, I found my bike. And without missing a beat, he looked at me in the eyes and he lied to me. He said, oh, son, that's not for you. I said, that's not for me? He said, that's not your bike. I said, whose is it? He said, well, one of the neighbors asked me to hide their son's bike. <laughs> now, let's just be very clear about this scenario. My father lied to me. Aw. My father lied to me. And he is a preacher of the Bible, like I am. In fact, he's still a pastor on the other side of town. I wasn't sure that the story is right. I was nine years old. Maybe I got the confusion details. So I called him this morning. I said, how you doing, Dad? He says, oh, I'm so excited about preaching about the coming of Jesus today. I said, good, good, good. I've got a question. I want to know if I remember this correctly. He said, sure, son, what is it? So filled with the Spirit of God, so excited about the Bible, and I'm about to crash his world, man. I said, when I was nine years old, did you, did you, did, do you remember buying me a bike? Yes. Do you remember hiding it in the thing? Yes. Do you remember me finding it? Yes. And when I came and asked you, what did you do? He said, well, son, you know, we have to understand. <laughs> Tried to excuse it. I said, did you lie to, did you lie, did you lie to me? Now, some people in this moment would like to excuse some sort of acceptable lies. And the reason you have a proclivity to excuse these lies is because you've been doing the same thing to your children this month. <laughs> lies. And on the phone this morning, he said, yes, son, I, I lied to you. I said, I'm thankful to hear your confession. <laughs> First, you need to repent it before the Lord. Then to others. For some of us in the room, when your father lied to you, it wasn't about a bike in a shed. For some of you, he said he would come back and he never did come back. 
for some of you in this room, when you were lied to, it was from the woman you promised the rest of your life to, and she said she'd be with you forever, and she is not. You had a partner. You had a business arrangement. You had a, an agreement. You even had a contract with some people, and they lied to you, and you've come to the place where you've realized you can trust nobody. And so you come to a room like this at a Christmas time and a guy opens up an old book filled with promises and he says, God doesn't lie. He keeps his promises. The prophecies were fulfilled. And you think to yourself, I, I don't know that I can believe that. You're no different friend than Luke. Luke, who was saying, I'm telling you, I'm concerned for the world, but I got to tell you, through prophecy, accuracy, and certainty, Jesus came and he died for the sins of the world. You're no different, my friend, than Zechariah, who faithfully, day after day, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, did the same thing for God over and over and over, wondering in the back of his mind, is this ever going to work? Is it ever going to happen? He's concerned for his nation just as Mary was concerned for her personal state. And here's the promise from God. The promise from God is that God keeps his promises. So trust him. Trust him if you're concerned for the world. Trust him if you're concerned for the nation. And my dear sister, my dear brother, trust him if you're concerned for your own self. And if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for your own salvation... You can trust Jesus with your soul. Jesus came to give his life for you. All you must do is by faith repent of your sin and give your soul to Jesus Christ. He'll save you today if you believe in him. I hope that you will. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the word that you've given us today from Luke chapter one. I thank you for expressing the great truths that your promises can be trusted. Help us to trust them. Help us to believe them. Help us to follow them. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, my dear friend, if you do not know Jesus Christ is your Savior today, at the end of the service, when everyone else leaves out the back door, I want to invite you to come forward and speak to one of my deacons who will share with you how you can be born again. It's the greatest Christmas gift you could ever receive. Father, thank you now. Bless us as we leave. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If God has used this message to impact your life, we would love to hear from you. Please send an email to connectdesk at southernhillslv.com. If you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so at southernhillslv.com slash give. We are always encouraged to hear how God is using this church in Las Vegas to reach God's people around the world.